So two readings, Exodus 6, 1 to 8, that's page 62 in the normal print Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name is the Lord. I do not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I saw with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And then the second reading is Colossians 1, 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Lord, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, Marie, very much. Well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, as we gather together again around your word and as we think about the glory of the cross, as we slow down to think uh, about one of the great biblical themes, that of redemption. Lord, we ask you that we wouldn't only learn things about you theoretically in our heads. Lord, we pray that we would learn to love you with all our hearts and that we would live as a redeemed people of the Lord in this world for your glory. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, then you're joining us for part three of a four-part series on the glory of the cross. And this evening, we're going to consider one of the great biblical themes, that of redemption. We thought already about justification, what it means to be declared in the right with God, a right standing with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We've also thought about atonement and the necessity of sacrifice. Our problem, if you remember last week, is that we're dirty. 
We have dirty hearts and we cannot just wander into the presence of a holy God and be okay. We need to be cleaned up. We need our sin atoned for. And as we saw last week in Leviticus chapter 16, that can only happen by means of a sacrifice. And of course, all the Old Testament sacrifices that we read about find their fulfillment in the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and his full and final sacrifice. So we thought about justification, we thought about atonement, and this evening we turn our attention to that third picture of the cross and the great theme of redemption. And what I'd love to do is actually begin with a definition this evening. And over the course of this evening, as we look at those different passages that have been read to us and a few others as well, hopefully you'll see how we've arrived at this definition that we're beginning with this evening. Here's redemption. Redemption is a powerful deliverance from a terrible plight at a great cost. A powerful deliverance from a terrible plight at a great cost. Now, I don't know how many talks or sermons or preaches you've heard before on the subject of redemption, but I think the temptation is often to begin in the New Testament with the redeeming work of Jesus at the cross. And of course, that's where we're going to end up this evening. All four pictures that you see there, justification, atonement, redemption, reconciliation, they all find their deepest meaning and fulfillment at the cross of Christ. Hence, our series, The Glory of the Cross. But I think to understand the redeeming work of Jesus more fully, then we need to go back to the Old Testament and begin with the great picture of redemption that we find in the book of Exodus, when God delivers or redeems his people from slavery in Egypt. So turn with me, if you would, to that first reading. So Exodus chapter 6. We're going to look again at verse 5 and 6 that you'll see there on the screen as well. Let me read them to you. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Do you see the three verbs there in verse 6 that describe the activity of God? I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. The redeemed person is one who's been brought out, one who's been freed, one who's been liberated, delivered from a terrible plight. And for those of you who know the story of Exodus quite well, then you'll be familiar with the pretty brutal Egyptian building regime. It's a painting there on the screen that tries to depict something of what it would have been like for God's people in slavery in Egypt. And as you look at that picture, let me read some words from Exodus chapter 1, which describes what was happening at this particular point in history for the nation of Israel. This is what we read. Survey the Egyptian rulers... Put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. 
They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. I don't know whether any of you have seen the film or read the book, 12 Years a Slave. It's a pretty disturbing story about one man's fight for freedom in Louisiana in the mid-19th century. 12 years this guy was treated shamefully, afflicted, beaten, brutally, to the point that nearly broke him, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. But in the end, he gained his freedom. 12 years under heavy oppression. But when we go back to Israel's time in Egypt, they weren't just in slavery for 12 years. They were in slavery for 400 years under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. These people understood what it was like to be under physical slavery more than most. And that's why the description that we get in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 is so powerful. Therefore say to the Israelites, these people that really understood the oppression, what it meant to be a slave, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And the yoke, as many of you will know, is that heavy wooden bar that, that rested on the oxen's shoulders as they pulled the plow behind them. What a heavy burden that must have been. But the yoke here in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, is speaking of the heavy burden of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh that was crushing the people of God. But here's the thing, God's going to bring them out. He's going to redeem them from their terrible plight. And in verse 5, he gives us two reasons why he is committed to the redemption of his people. Number one, I have heard their groaning. You see, God has heard the groaning. He understands, he knows, he even feels the plight of his people. And he will not let that groaning go unanswered. God will step in and deliver those who are his. And secondly, God has remembered his covenant, his promise to establish his people under his loving rule in the land of his choice, free from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh to enjoy the blessed rule of God. And when the Lord God Almighty has spoken, he will do it. I will, verse 6, I will bring them out. I will free them. I will redeem them with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will, I will, I will. And of course, as the story continues, we see how God brought about that powerful deliverance, ten plagues, ten mighty acts of judgment that came down upon the nation of Egypt, climaxing with the death of the firstborn son in every home. And the only way to escape the judgment of God was to take a one-year-old male lamb without blemish or without defect and to slaughter it and to paint the blood of the lamb on the door frames of your house so that when the avenging angel came through the land in judgment that night it would pass over those houses that had been marked with blood why because the death of a substitute lamb had already occurred in their place 
And so we read in Exodus chapter 12, we read what happened on that monumental night at midnight, chapter 12, 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. And so it was on that night that God delivered en masse from Egypt his people. One million plus. Redeemed by the mighty acts of God and by the blood of a lamb. And you see, as we think back to this great redemption in the Old Testament, as we think back to the terrible plight that God's people were delivered from, then I think we need to remember two things, because they were redeemed from two different things. Number one, those people were redeemed or delivered from slavery, from the oppressive, brutal, crushing rule of Pharaoh, by mighty acts of judgment. But they were also delivered from the judgment of God by the blood of the Lamb. And you see, as we come to the New Testament, we will see exactly the same pattern. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have been redeemed from two things. Number one, slavery to sin. And number two, the judgment of God. And so let's flick forward, if you would, to that reading in Colossians chapter 1 as we think about this, this New Testament picture of deliverance and how it lines up with what we've just looked at in the book of Exodus. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, our definition still stands, a powerful deliverance from a terrible plight at a great cost. But of course, our plight is somewhat different, is it not, to the plight of Israel in Exodus. We don't need to be delivered from physical slavery. That's not our issue. We need to be delivered from spiritual slavery, as it says in Colossians 1, from the dominion of darkness, which represents the rule, the oppressive rule of Satan and the rule of sin. And you see, without Christ, that is a dominion that all people belong to until they've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus. But do you see that little phrase in the middle of verse 13? He has brought us out. In the Greek, that word speaks of of, of a mass migration, a big movement of people, of people moving from one place to another. It's Exodus language. It takes us back to that, that mass movement of God's people from Egypt all the way to the promised land. Same word, Exodus language is used to describe our spiritual redemption. Just as God brought those people out of Egypt, out of physical slavery, so it is today. God is redeeming people en masse from the dominion of darkness, from the rule of Satan, and he is delivering them, us, wonderfully, 
into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. You see, as Christians, we belong to a whole new established order. We're no longer in the dominion of darkness. We're no longer under the oppressive rule of of Satan and sin which dominates our lives. We're under the dominion of Christ. We belong to him. We belong to the kingdom of the light. We're under the rule of the loving Lord Jesus. And what a beautiful thing that is to be under the dominion of Christ. When I was at uh, primary school, I went to a little school called Bubrook, um, just near Warwick. And uh, there was a row of shops near where we went to school. Three shops, news agent on one end, dry cleaners on the other, and a shop in the middle that always changed about a little bit. And for a couple of years, while I was at primary school, it was the best shop ever. It's called the Swap Shop. And you could um, bring in your old toys, and you could either exchange them for a bit of money, whatever the shop owner thought they were worth, or you could bring them in and swap them for a toy of similar value. And so I was in the swap shop, as we were most days, after school, perusing around. And this was the, this was the age and the craze of Star Wars at this particular point, when it sort of first came out. And um, I was looking at this Millennium Falcon, which is that ship that I think most of them hang out in. And... I've picked it up to look at it. I just had a feeling it was mine. You know, you look at something, there's obviously thousands of these things being made, but I'm thinking, I'm sure that's my Millennium Falcon, but it can't be. It can't be mine, of course. Mine's back at home, safe in my cupboard. So, okay, back you go. Back to my cupboard, bedroom. Millennium Falcon's not there. So I wander downstairs. Mum, where's my Millennium Falcon? Sent to the swap shop. Yeah, I'm using it for six months, so I gave it to the swap shop. So you know what I do? The very next day... I go back to the swap shop and I buy back my own Millennium Falcon for £4.50, which was rightfully mine in the first place. So in many ways, I sort of own it twice. I already owned it. Then it was lost from me and then I bought it back to belong to myself again. And so it is with God. We belong to God twice. Firstly, by right of creation, he made us. He created us. We have our being because God brought us into being. He owns us by right of creation. But we sold ourselves into the swap shop of this world. We gave ourselves over to the dominion of darkness. And God, in his incredible love, stepped down into this world to buy us back. That we might belong to him again. We are doubly his. We are God's by right of creation because he made us and we are God's by right of redemption because he brought us back to belong to him. And I guess the question we're left asking is what did it cost God to bring us back? What did it cost our great God to buy us back? Well, do you know what? It wasn't £4.50 in cash. It's the precious blood of Jesus. Have a look at these words from 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Just as God redeemed his people, from physical slavery in Egypt through mighty acts of judgment and by the blood of a lamb. So it is in the New Testament. 
God has wonderfully delivered his people from the dominion of darkness at the cross with a mighty act of judgment and by the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. And of course, that's why Jesus came, is it not? His own words in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a concept that the New Testament world would have been all too familiar with, where people were bought and sold like commodities in the Roman slave markets. And the ransom price was what it cost to buy somebody out of slavery and to give them back their freedom. What did it cost God to buy us back out of slavery, out of the dominion of darkness? It didn't cost him silver or gold. In fact, there was no financial transaction that took place at all. It was a transaction of life. His life, the Lord Jesus, for my life. It cost God his only son. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his own life, precious blood, as a ransom for many. It's maybe worth saying as well at this point that the the New Testament never pushes the imagery to speak about who the ransom was paid to. The focus is purely on the one who paid it. The one who gave of everything for our sake. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? cannot give an answer but this i know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom redemption is a powerful deliverance from a terrible plight at a quite incredible cost that's where we started and I hope you can see as we, as we, as we land with that definition that we've not just plucked something out of the sky, we've gone to God's word to understand not from a dictionary, but from the word of God, what redemption is and not just what it is, but what it costs God to buy us back to himself. But what I'd love to do as we finish is to try and apply the reality of redemption to our lives. You see, it's one thing to understand redemption. It's one thing to leave here this evening and, and say, I know what redemption is. It's a powerful deliverance from a terrible plight to a great cost. I can say, I know, what, I know what redemption is, but what does it actually look like to live as God's redeemed people? What does it look like to live a life of freedom in Christ that he has brought us back for? As much we could say, but I'd love to say two things. Firstly, Our freedom, redemption, freedom that God has brought us, our freedom does not mean we are free to sin. That is not the freedom that God brought us for. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 to 20, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you've received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The context here is sexual sin. 
But no doubt there are applications to a full range of sin which, which still influences the believer's life. And what are we called to do with sin? We're called to flee. We're called to run from it. We're called to put our trainers on. If sin's there, we go in there and we're going there fast. Flee. Flee from it. And we're given two reasons. Number one, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God redeemed us. And then he came to live within us. So honor God. God's taken up residence in the human heart inside our frames, our bodies. So honor God with your body. But secondly, you're not your own. Do you see that? You're not your own because you were bought at a price. You were redeemed. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And you now belong to him. So honor God with your body. You see, redemption means that we now belong to God. My life is not mine to do what I want with it. It's his to do what he wants with it. I belong to him. You belong to him if he's redeemed you. So what does God want of us? What has he redeemed us for? Well, he's redeemed us for holiness. He wants us to seek righteousness. He wants us to flee from sin. That we would live redeemed lives that bring glory and honor to our God. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, and he died for all. Why did he die for all? That those who live should no longer live for themselves. Christ died for you that you would no longer live for yourselves. He died to liberate us from our self-centered, sinful, soul-destroying sin within us. He delivered us from that. That my life would no longer be for me, but it would be for him. Who died for me and rose again to give me life forever. He died that we would not live for ourselves anymore, but for him. That's redemption. It's not just to smile and say God loves me. It's to say my life has been radically transformed and he's bought me at such cost. That I would now give my life to the one to whom I belong. Because I'm his by right of creation and by rights of redemption. Firstly, our freedom does not mean we are free to sin. And then secondly, as we close, we await the redemption of our bodies. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, redeemed from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, there is a physical redemption that is still to come. We've been redeemed spiritually, delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. Yet we still live in a broken world, do we not? And we experience the realities of that broken world every day. And we will continue to do so until either we die to go to be with our Lord or he returns to claim us and take us back. And on that day when Jesus does return... He will redeem, he will deliver the entire cosmos. He will liberate this world from its bondage to sin and decay. He will renew all things. 
This sin, torn, broken, distorted as God intends it to be. And on that same day that God redeems this whole cosmos, he will give his people new, indestructible resurrection bodies. Our bodies will be redeemed from the ravages of sin in this world. Our weary frames will be replaced with new, glorious, indestructible resurrection bodies. What a day that will be when God comes back to fully and finally redeem the physical creation on top of the spiritual that he's already done so. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. So in summary... We visit the law courts. We were there two weeks ago and we asked the question, will I be found guilty for my sin? Answer no, because the Lord Jesus has already been found guilty in our place. We are freely justified by grace. I step out of the courtrooms into the temple courts and I ask the question, am I going to be sacrificed for my sin? Answer no. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has already been sacrificed in our place. His death on the cross fully atones for sin. And so we move out of the temple courts into the slave markets outside. And we ask the question, am I still in slavery to sin? Answer no. Jesus was ransomed in my place. We have been redeemed, brought back to God by the precious blood of Jesus. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. Let me take a moment to consider those words or something from what we thought about. And we will be singing that song uh, in the remainder of the service. We just take a moment to reflect and then we'll sing again, I think, before we come to the Lord's table. My prayer for all of us this week is that wherever we're at at the moment, whether it's a good place or a really tough place, we would leave here tonight knowing those wonderful words. How marvellous, how wonderful is the Saviour's love for me. Let me close the service by singing. Uh, by singing. <laughs> Perhaps I won't sing. That might ruin what's been a wonderful service. Let me read the, the words I read at the end of our morning service. Uh, I think uh, very fitting words with the song we've just sung. From Psalm 116, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit afresh and that you would send us out from here to be faithful witnesses of your love in a broken, broken world. But more than just sharing your love this week, we pray that each of us would enjoy your love ourselves. That we would rejoice in knowing God and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for the marvellous, the wonderful love that you have for each of us. May we be assured of that love, proved to us by all that Christ did for us on the cross. Amen.